You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am co-hostless today on the podcast and that's on me this week. My schedule is just a little all over the place this week. I've just got a lot going on with the day job, and Charlie and I just couldn't quite get our schedules aligned early in the week. I'm trying to move some things around as much as I can to be able to get Charlie or Curtis on here with me later in the week, because I just assume most of you prefer hearing two voices on the podcast as opposed to just having me go at it solo. I could totally be wrong there, but that's just kind of what I assume. So We're going to do our best to make that happen for our spring practice week two recap later in the week. No promises, but we're going to give it our best shot. I just got some long hours to put in this week, but busy week or not, you know I'm not going to let you go a week without your Georgia sports fix. So I've got you covered today, and we're going to open the show with some recruiting talk, recapping a big week on the football recruiting front before I wrap things up with a recap of the weekend that was in Georgia athletics. But first, we've got some recruiting to talk about, and it has been a huge week on the recruiting trail for the Dogs as we have added three big commitments to the 2022 class over the last week, including two top 50 overall prospects. All three of these guys are actually inside the top 200, which, of course, that's going to mean they're all four or five-star prospects. And the first guy to pop last week on Wednesday, I believe it was, was Malachi Starks from Jefferson High School, just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Athens. Starks also happens to be the most highly rated of the trio of commitments, coming in at number 29 overall, and he became our third five-star commitment of the 2020 cycle. He's a 6'1", 200-pound athlete, and while he's ranked number 29 overall right now, which is a five-star prospect, that's great. In rankings, like, what does it matter if you're 29 or you're number 20 or you're number 15? Like, what does it even matter? He's still a highly rated guy regardless, but there is a little bit of discrepancy in his ranking from some of the different services out there. Rivals has him as the number 76 overall prospect in the country, while 247 Sports has him as number 13. I'm sure once Rivals updates their rankings here in in a couple months or so, that he will likely move up the list there. But regardless, he's a five-star prospect, highly recruited guy. A lot of teams around the country want him. Clemson was really heavy on him, Alabama as well. But of course, obviously, we were able to uh, fight them off and land his commitment last week. And guys, 
If you haven't seen the tape already, just take my word for it. Malachi Starks is a flat out stud. Now, the only big question when it comes to Malachi Starks is, okay, what position is this guy going to play? Because in high school, he plays a, a little bit of everything. He plays quarterback, plays wide receiver, plays safety. He kind of just is one of those like jack of all trades at the high school level. Because usually what you see at the high school level, at least oftentimes, is you see the best athlete on the team is just utilized in a number of different ways. Use them all over the field. You just want to get the ball in his hands. You want him out there in the field. And Malachi Starks certainly personifies that. And he is just dynamic with the ball in his hands. Honestly, I know a lot of teams out there are recruiting him as a safety. I know that's what Clemson is recruiting him as, and that's what Alabama is recruiting him as. But, I, I mean, just based on the tape that I've seen, and I've seen this guy actually in person a couple of times. He's not far from the Athens area here. But he's the most dynamic offensive skill athlete that we are recruiting that I have seen. It's still very early in this recruiting cycle. And so I'm still making my way through the tape of all these different guys that we're recruiting. Is I'm not talking about just guys that we have on our commitment list. I'm talking about guys that we are actively recruiting. I try to watch as much tape as I possibly can. I haven't gotten through all of them. But of the guys that I've seen so far in terms of the skill guys that we are recruiting, I think Malachi Starks, you can make a very strong argument, and I would make that argument, that he is the most dynamic offensive skill athlete that we are currently recruiting. And a lot of teams just want to put him on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he's he's explosive. He has elite top-end speed on tape. I don't have a verified 40 time for you. I wish I could give you that, but with the camp's been shut down the past year and a half or so, those are kind of hard to come by right now. But when you'll Turn on the tape and watch this guy play. I mean, he has elite top end. At least say he has elite top end game speed for sure. Sometimes that doesn't always translate to the forty yard dash, because there's technique involved in the forty. But this guy can move. Uh, he, he's just really natural with the ball in his hands. He's a very fluid athlete. Has great vision on the defense side of the ball, and he can definitely play defense. I think he's going to translate more as like a safety or star just with his frame. Obviously, if you're playing the star position, a big part of that position, that job description is getting in there and defending against the run. You've got run fits. You've got to kind of poke your nose in there, be physical, and get involved in the run game. And he certainly has the frame to do that. He plays a lot of safety at the high school level on defense. He certainly can do that as well. He's got great closing speed. He's very physical back there. He'll light you up. And I haven't really seen any tape of him playing cornerback but I think he could play cornerback if we wanted him to. And the reason I say that is, he's, well, number one, he's such a great athlete, but he also just has really fluid hips. I mean, he's got that wiggle, and that's a big part of playing corner. I, I think he could play it if he wanted to, if we wanted to give him a look there. I'm sure we probably will give him a look there. We'll probably look at him in all different spots in the secondary. But I think on the defense side of the ball would probably project more as a safety or star. Again, not that he can't play corner, but you just don't have guys with this kind of body type that can effectively cover in space and also defend against the run and play with those run fits like you need guys to do at that star position. And honestly, I think he could play inside linebacker. Like, not right now, but like if he really wanted to and put on about 20 pounds when he gets to college or by the time he gets to college – absolutely he could play inside linebacker. I mean, he's not much smaller than what Roquan Smith was coming out of high school. Not everyone's going to turn into Roquan Smith. I get that. But I think if we really wanted him to and he wanted to and his body's developed that way, like, yeah, he could play inside linebacker and play it really, really well. 
But he's got that thick frame that can really help him be that hybrid type defender. Again, playing that star position, going to cover, support against the run, those kind of things. And that's just so valuable. It gives defensive flexibility in defending the modern college offenses. I've talked a lot about this the past couple weeks because, I mean, you guys know the modern college offenses, they've unified what I'm calling the, the unholy trinity of hybrid skill players, tempo, and space. At least from a defensive coordinator perspective, that's the unholy trinity. When, when offenses utilize hybrid skill players, tempo, and space all at the same time. They unify those three things. It makes it really tough for defenses to actually effectively defend the modern offenses. Uh, now, he's not playing quarterback at the college level, all right? I think we can go back, go ahead and throw that out. I think, I mean, again, he could play quarterback. He, he's just such a talented athlete. He could. I just don't think that's where his highest ceiling is at. Personally, where I would love to see him is at wide receiver. I think I honestly would rather see him at wide receiver than on the defensive side of the ball. At least get a shot there. Now, our coaches have sold him on the idea that he's going to get looks both ways, on offense and defense. We're going to give him that opportunity, which is one of the, the factors in him committing to Georgia. Obviously, he's he's from the state of Georgia. He's a local kid, all those kind of things. That factors into it as well. Relation, the relationship with the coaches also factors in. But, I mean, he's openly said that we were pretty much the only school that was recruiting him that offered him the chance to play both offense and defense. And so I, I imagine what we'll do is when he gets here on campus, we'll, we'll just give him a shot both ways and see where we like him more. It also depends on what else we have on the team. What else is on the roster? Do we have more receivers? Is that room loaded or are we thin there? Do we need more playmakers at receiver? What about the secondary? I know right now we're thin in secondary, but we are trying to actively correct that and so by the time he gets here do we have enough guys in secondary that we feel comfortable with all that's going to factor into it but man he's just such a tantalizingly explosive athlete that it's just so hard for me to say yeah it's okay let's put him on defense let's not worry about having him at receiver because we've talked so much the past year or so about how the game has become so offensively inclined. And to win at the highest level, you've got to have dynamic playmakers on offense. And that's exactly what Malachi Starks is. And, and like I know that there are a lot of people that are concerned about wide receiver recruiting right now and not stacking that room with enough elite athletes. I think that's a little bit overstated. The 2020 receiver class with guys like Jermaine Burton, Marcus Rosemead, Jack Saint, Justin Robinson, Arian Smith. I mean, that is a heck of a recruiting haul. So we land those guys in 2020. In 2021, it doesn't really surprise me that we didn't land this monster recruiting class as we just got all those guys in 2020. There wasn't a ton of class separation there. It's tougher to sell some of these elite receivers on the idea of, hey, let's come into Athens and follow guys like Jermaine Burton and Marcus Rosemead, Jack Saint, and Justin Robinson and Arian Smith when those guys are elite talents in their own right or at least high-level potential prospects. It's tougher to sell those, sell that to some of these top-level guys when they have so many other options at other great schools, and they can go there, and there's less resistance, less um, fewer obstacles in their path, I guess is what I would say there. So I'm not overly worried about the 2021 receiver class. And I actually think we have some guys that are undervalued there. I, I think Adonai Mitchell, and I also think that Jackson Meeks can be really good players. Now, they're not as highly recruited. Uh, Jackson Meeks suffered an injury yeah, about halfway through his year last year, but it was off to a, a, just a hellacious start. I think those guys have the potential to grow into good receivers. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's not the most highly rated guy that ends up having the greatest impact long-term. Well, oftentimes it is, but just because you're a three-star doesn't mean that you can't come in there and be a big-time receiver. You absolutely can. So I, I'm not overly worried about it like some people are. But I do recognize that there is a need to hit at that position this cycle. 
And the guys that we know that we are aggressively recruiting at that position, I'm sure there's some guys that are recruiting behind the scenes that we don't really know about. It's obviously harder to come by recruiting information right now with all the COVID rules and visits all off the table for a while now. But the guys that we know that we are aggressively recruiting at receiver, guys like Kojo Antwi, Evan Stewart, Amari Kelly, Sam Mbake, all those guys, it's pretty clear to me that Malachi Starks is the most dynamic athlete among them. I think it's pretty close with him and Evan Stewart, but I think that Starks is, man, he's just such a dynamic athlete. He He's the rawest of those guys because he doesn't play receiver. Like that's, that, like that's his position. He'll play it some, but that's not what he plays exclusively. But the tools are there, man. Now, what is his long-term ceiling at the college level? I think he's easily an all-SEC caliber player wherever he ends up, whether it's defensively, whether it's offensively. He's just such a, a crazy athlete that he's clearly all-SEC caliber to me. I'd be shocked he's not on an all-SEC list at some point by the time he leaves Athens. And depending on how quickly he settles into a position, how quickly he takes to that position, whatever it might end up being, and if we utilize him correctly, that's also a big part. There's a lot of great athletes just don't get used right. So they never quite reach their ceiling and their potential at the college level. But if if he sells into position quickly and we utilize him correctly, I think he has all-American potential. I think that highly of him as an athlete. So I am obviously stoked to get Malachi Starks here on the commit list. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, the second commitment, I think this came on Saturday, was from Jalen Walker, who's a 6'2, 220 pound prospect from Salisbury, North Carolina, number 50 overall. And he is similar to Starks in a way because it's also very interesting to see what position he's going to end up at. Now, he's defense the whole way. It's not like Starks, where it's like, okay, is he going to play defense or is he going to play offense? It's more so, is he going to play inside linebacker standing up or is he going to play outside linebacker? That's what the question is right now with Jalen Walker. But wherever he ends up, inside or outside, he is oozing with potential and raw tools. He is an incredibly explosive athlete, has just really absolutely insane closing speed off the edge, and he will absolutely light people up. Yes, I mentioned already that he could be inside or outside, so there's position flexibility there. Again, going back to what I said about Malachi Starks, here's another similarity. He can be one of those hybrid defensive players. I've talked a lot recently about how important it is if you really want to try, I don't think you can stop modern offenses completely, but if you want to try to limit them 
and contain them as much as possible, you have to be able to match their hybrid skill players with hybrid defensive players. And that is what Jalen Walker brings to the table. He's another one of those kind of guys, an Adam Anderson-esque type guy. Now, it is really tough for me right now to properly evaluate him from like a technique standpoint because there's just such limited film out there from his junior year. He plays North Carolina. Uh, as far as I know, all of North Carolina, they push back their football season to the spring they're actually playing right now so there's very little junior tape of him out there in fact all i've been able to find are like is like one game it was like one game of highlights essentially of his junior year but he appears in that one game appears to be playing far more outside linebacker this year than he has in previous years after playing really more inside linebacker slash star as a sophomore, he was really an inside linebacker that would flex out at times and defend the slot receiver. But he played a ton in space, again, flexed out over the slot and looked very, very natural out there. Now at outside linebacker, again, very limited tape. So I just, again, take that with a grain of salt. But in the limited snaps that I've seen with him at outside linebacker, man, he looks the part. He looks shot out of a cannon off the edge. Now, granted, there's very little resistance in that one game because he, in that one game that they got film of him on from his junior year, he's around the edge where the offensive tackle is even out of his stance. Like, it's just no contest. It's, it's no match at all. He's essentially unabated the quarterback. But, I mean, again, while there might not be much resistance, he looks really good doing it. The quarterback tries to scramble and escape, and he's just, just chasing him down like a monster. He's an animal out there. But it does leave questions about his technique, and hopefully we'll get more and more tape as this spring season, which is just weird to say, the spring season goes on, and we see more and more tape coming out of out of this season. But he's a five-star talent. I, I have seen enough to say that. From like a physical tool standpoint, he's a five-star talent. Just needs to figure out what position he's going to play. And we might not know that. And, and I, I actually, I would say we likely won't know that until he gets to campus. We might have an idea where we want to start him out. But he'll probably get looks inside and outside. I think a lot of it depends on how his body develops over the next year and a half. It also depends on where guys like Smail Mondin and Xavier Sori ultimately land. Those are also two guys that we got in this 2021 class that have some position flexibility that could play inside, could play outside. We're just, we've got Mondin, we've got these guys on campus already, and we're just trying to figure out where they're going to play. What is the best spot for them? And so once we figure that out, that's going to really help us in, help inform us like, where do we need Walker more? Do we need him more inside? Do we need him more outside? All those things are going to factor in. And in terms of his long-term potential, like what do I think this guy could be? Like Starks, I will say that he's easily an all-SEC caliber player. Easily an all-SEC caliber player. I would also be, just like Starks, I'd be surprised if he does not end up in an all-SEC first or second team list at some point. He's that kind of talent. If he settles into a position quickly, whether it's inside or outside, and we utilize him correctly, just like I said with Malachi Starks, you know, same story here. I think Jalen Walker has all-American potential. If you're looking for a comp with a, a recent player, I do see a lot of similarities between him and Adam Anderson in terms of like Anderson, you know, being able to play standing up, being able to play with his hand on the ground, rushing the pass, and doing all those things, playing in space a little bit. We've talked about him playing star right now, trying to learn that position some at, during the spring. I see some similarities there with, with Anderson and Walker. I do think Walker is a little more physical at this point, and he has more room to grow, like more room in the frame to actually put some weight on. 
So it's not an exact comparison, but if you're looking for somebody with a similar type skill set where they can play in space, standing up, they can rush the pass with their hand in the dirt, uh, explosive, all those kind of things, great speed, great athlete. I think Adam Anderson's a really close comp there for a guy like Jalen Walker. So just another guy that, man, I am flat out pumped to get. This is a guy also, it's not just good to get him because you want his talent on your roster, but to keep him away from some of our, our competitors, like Clemson, like they really, really wanted this guy. He was one of their top targets this year. And for a while, I mean, that's where all the crystal balls were pointing, like he was going to Clemson. But Sure enough, you know, about a week or so leading up before his commitment over the weekend, you start to hear more and more buzz. Like, I don't know, maybe this guy like might end up actually end up in Georgia. And lo and behold, it, it comes to pass. And so I'm very excited to get him. I'm very excited he's not at Clemson. Just great news on all fronts. And that takes us to the third commitment of the past week, and that's running back Jordan Bryant James, 5'10", 205 pounds. If you're looking for his tape, you type in Jordan Bryant James, you're going to have a tough time finding it. It's going to be under Jordan James. Just give me an idea if you want to go out there and look for, and watch the tape yourself. Just type in Jordan James. He's from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, about 5'10", 205-pound running back, number 179 overall right now in the 247 composite. And guys, I really like this guy. I really, really do like this guy. I know his commitment hasn't moved the needle as much as Starks' and Walker's commitment, and he isn't rated quite as highly. And his commitment kind of came out of the blue. There wasn't this pre-planned buildup to it, so maybe that's why there wasn't as much excitement around his commitment. But I'm excited to land this guy. I, I think he can be a really good player. He's he's not a burner. Let me say that at the outset here in evaluating him. He is not a home run speed type guy. He's not a burner. And I know that turns some people off when you're talking about running backs. People like to see explosive plays, explosive playmakers. They become all the rage these days. And I get it. I love to see these guys at home run speed too. They can just bust one off and, and go the distance on any given snap. I love those kind of guys too. But if you've listened to me evaluate prospects before, particularly if you've listened to me evaluate running back prospects before, you know that's way down the list of running back attributes that I personally look for. It's great to have that type of elite speed. It's great to have. I would, of course, prefer that our running backs have that, but I also do not think it's essential. I think you can still be a really productive running back without that elite top-end speed. Whereas if you don't possess things like good vision, if you can't move laterally, if you can't keep your balance on contact, those kind of things, it's really hard to be an effective SEC running back. Let's use Richard Samuel as a case in point. I know that's a while ago. Let's go back and look at Richard Samuel. Richard Samuel had great speed. He was a great athlete, but he didn't move especially well laterally. He really had trouble keeping his balance. He was kind of just awkward being out there. Didn't have great vision, and he just never really... I mean, he had that great game against Florida that one time, but outside of that, he just never really picked up that running back position. I know we moved him kind of back and forth as well, but you've got to have those technical aspects of the position more so than just that elite speed. Elite speed is great. It helps. It's awesome. Of course, I would love to have that, but there's other things I just think are far more important when you're trying to evaluate a running back and try to project forward on how good they can be at the college level. So if he isn't an elite speed guy, but I still really like him, what does he bring to the table that I like so much? Well, the first thing that really kind of stands out to me when you watch him play is that he's just so fluid out there, just fantastic feet. And that's really important for me when you're talking about running back play. He's got elite short area quickness. He's really, really good in tight areas because he does move so fluidly. I think that's really important, the SEC level. 
especially with our running schemes, you've got to be able to operate in tight areas. You've got to be able to see holes and, and maneuver within those tight spaces. And I think he does that really well because he just moves so well in and out of breaks, in and out of cuts, those kind of things. He also has outstanding balance, particularly outstanding contact balance. When he gets hit, he does not automatically just fall to the ground and lose his balance. He'll get hit and keep chugging and also keep his balance, which I think is an a critical skill set for a running back to have. I mean, that could be the difference between you know, getting a first down, getting a touchdown, all those things. He's always moving forward. He tends to have this ability to just fall forward. Hard to knock him back because he has that thicker body type. He runs with really good power. And at times it seems like contact doesn't even register with him. It's like, wait, did he even get hit? Because he, it doesn't like make him move at all. He's just got that thicker body type, a really strong lower body, muscle lower body, those kind of things. Um, and he also has the ability to find open grass. I love his vision. He has this sudden burst when he finds the open grass. He can just burst through it. He hits the hole about 100 miles an hour. And he will really accelerate, turn on the afterburners when he sees daylight. I love that about him. Again, maybe not elite top in elite speed, that kind of thing. But he has the burst and acceleration to get through the hole, which I think is more important than that top end speed. Uh, I also think he has a lot of scheme versatility. Uh, he can catch the ball in the backfield, which is something that new age running have just got to be able to do. And I also think he has the ability to excel in either a zone scheme or more of a gap-based scheme. I like him in zones, zone schemes because he has this exceptional cutback ability. He's really got a, a lot of wiggle in his game, got great vision. I think he can excel in a zone, a zone scheme, which is basically what we exclusively ran back in 2019 with James Coley at the helm. We're still running some zone scheme stuff with Todd Munkin. We're also incorporating a lot more gap-based power scheme type stuff as well. And with his body type, his power, his contact balance, I absolutely think that he can excel in that kind of scheme as well. Um, now with a, a, a comp here, I know people always ask me when we talk about recruits, like who would you compare this guy to? And my comp is, I just seem kind of out of left field because he's not an SEC guy. But um, played at Utah for a couple years and is now, I think he's with the Bills now in the NFL. But he reminds me a lot of Zach Moss when I watched him on tape. I, I was high on Utah a couple years ago. Actually, I predicted them to be in the, uh, in the playoffs going into the 2019 season. They were one game away. If they would have beaten Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, that would have worked out for me. But they were close. And a big part of me predicting them to go to the college football playoff from the Pac-12 2019 was Zach Moss. I loved Zach Moss. I still love him. I thought he was just a great college running back. But if you look at him physically, he's a he's very similar to Jordan Bryant James. They're both about five coming out of high school, they're about 5'10, 205 pounds. Now, as a senior at Utah, Zach Moss up to about 220 pounds. He got much bigger. But coming out of high school in his first couple of years at Utah, he was about 205, 210 pounds. That's kind of what Jordan Bryant James like. And they both had thick lower bodies, uh, very strong lower halves. They Neither guy has elite home run speed, but they're very quick in the short area. They operate well in traffic, of great vision, great sudden burst to get through the hole. All those things, there's a lot of comparisons. Just when you watch them run, just the fluidity that they run with, even though they, even though they might not have that elite speed. I just think I, I see Zach Moss all over the place when I watch Jordan Bryant James run the football. So I know it's a little bit out of left field, but if you're asking for a comparison with, with Bryant James, I will go Zach Moss. Now, landing a guy like Jordan Bryant James, does this mean that we are done at the running back position in this 2022 class? I would say no. I think we've got to take two guys. 
with Zeus and James Cook being gone after this season, Lavoisier Carroll's position future up in the air. I mean, right now, he's playing cornerback exclusively. They're calling it an experiment right now, and maybe that's all it'll be, and he'll end up being a running back long-term because we just don't have depth there right now. Or he might stay at, at, at cornerback or in the second year, wherever he ends up landing there. There's a possibility. We don't know right now. Experiments, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. So with, even if Carroll ends up at running back, I still think we need two guys in this class with Zeus and Cook leaving after this season. So yeah, I, I'm pumped to get Jordan Bryant James uh, on the commitment list here. He's going to be a, a really good prospect for us. But the other guy I'm really looking at here, and we'll break him down more later on in the offseason, but Branson Robinson out of Mississippi, this guy... I don't know how he's not a five-star prospect on some of these services. Some of these guys, I think 247 updated their rankings not too long ago, and he made a big jump. But this guy needs to jump up their rankings in a big way. He's a 100% a five-star prospect. If, there's not a five-star, if he's not a five-star prospect at running back in this class, I, I don't think there are any five-star prospects at running back in this class. That's the guy that we need to lock down next. I know we've made a lot of, a lot of headway with him recently. And if we can land Branson Robinson to go along with Jordan Bryan James, oof, man, that's about as good of a running back class as you're going to find in 2022. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. But all right, guys, that is our recruiting update from the past week. And now I want to transition to a recap of the weekend that was in Georgia Athletics. Throw a little love to some of the underappreciated sports programs. Let's go with that. Uh, we don't get a chance to talk much Georgia baseball, so let's start there. After going 14-3 and in the non-conference to start the season, we've hit a little bit of a bump in the road to start conference play. We're now 2-4 after our first two conference series against Tennessee and Texas A&M. Tennessee, we opened conference play against Tennessee at home a couple weekends ago. And look, they're a top 10 team this year. So that one I'm okay with right now. I don't expect us to be, we can compete against top 10 teams, but I don't expect us to go out there and win a bunch of series against some of the top 10 teams in the SEC. A&M, I know it was on the road, but that one's a little different. They really aren't that good this season. They've been pretty good in, in recent years, but this year is not one of those years and we actually, if you're watching those games, which I'm sure some of you did, we actually really should have won that series. On Saturday, we were up one going into the bottom of the ninth. I think we got one in the ninth, in the top of the ninth. So we were up one going to the bottom of the ninth, but our closer, our new closer, a transfer from Florida, Nolan Crisp, gave up a couple of hits, and then second baseman Josh McAllister, who's been really good for us since kind of being inserted in that role as the starting second baseman when Buddy Floyd went down with injury. He's given us a little pop in the lineup earlier in that game. I actually had a big home run to give us the lead there, kind of extend the lead out. So he's been really good for us, but made an error in that bottom of the ninth inning that uh, pretty much lost the game. I mean, it wasn't just that play, but that's ultimately what did it in the bottom of the ninth. But again, I'm not, I'm really not surprised nor really alarmed that we started off 
a little slow in conference play. I mean, after all, the SEC is the toughest conference in the entire country, not just in football, but in, in baseball as well. I mean, coming into last week, I think we had five five SEC teams making up the top five in the college baseball rankings. And I know there's a couple of different publications out there that do college baseball rankings, but I think it was D1 Baseball had five SEC teams in the top five. This week, I think it's four of the top five. So we're talking about clearly the best conference in America. And we're not one of the best teams in the best conference in America this year. We're, we're good. We're just not one of the best teams. Last year, we were one of the best teams. I thought we had a legitimate shot to make a trip to Omaha. And, and who knows, once you get there, you have a chance to win it. But uh, – we lost a, a lot of key players off of that team, particularly the two frontline starters, our Friday and Saturday starters. And so we're trying to replace those guys. And we have a we have quite a few freshmen playing, like real, not just playing like you know complimentary roles, playing key roles for us. I think we have three freshmen that start regularly. I guess you could say four if you want to throw in Luke Wagner as our Friday starter, but. It, our, as our position players, you got Corey Collins, who well, I guess he's our DH. We'll call that a position player, right? He's in the lineup pretty much every day when he's healthy. And then you've got Parks Harbor now is playing third base, and you've got Francisco Gonzalez that's playing catcher for us right now. All three guys are really good freshmen. They're going to be big-time players for us, and they've been good so far, especially Corey Collins at the plate. I mean, Corey Collins and Parks Harbor are hitting in the 2-3 and three hole for us right now as true freshmen. I mean, that's the heart of our lineup right there. So we're young in some key spots, and we're going to continue to grow. Um, and our, by the way, our projected top pitcher, also John Cannon, has only been back a couple of weeks after overcoming mono right before this season. So that that's thrown a whole nother wrench into what we were trying to do this season. Then head coach Scott Strickland gets COVID. He's been out for the past couple of weekends. But all is far from lost. When you've got so many young contributors and guys in all these new roles, guys like Ryan Webb being inserted in the starting lineup – this is a team that's going to get better as the year progresses. They have all the elements of being one of those teams where at the beginning of the year, we're good, we're solid, but there's going to be some bumps in the road. But as the season progresses and some of these new guys get more and more experienced in their roles, we're going to become better and better and better because we have some guys with some really high ceilings. I mentioned guys like Corey Collins, Parks Harbor, uh, Jaden Woods has done some good things for us on the mound this year. Luke Wagner, he's our Friday he's our Friday night starter right now. He's been up and down at times, but the dude's got really good stuff, as does Jaden Woods, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So I, I think this team, again, is going to grow more and more and get better and better as the season goes on, and I think we actually have a chance to have a good weekend to get back on track this weekend. we got Clemson on the road Tuesday night. Night, which is a winnable game for us. Then we have South Carolina at home over the weekend. South Carolina started off the season hot, but they've really kind of come back down to earth. I think this is a team where we, we can get this series. It'd be great if we could get the sweep, but if we can just get two out of three, get a series win in the SEC, that'd be great going into next weekend. Because next weekend, oh yeah, we're going to number one Vanderbilt. That's not going to be so pretty. That'd be, it'd be incredible if we can get one win against Vanderbilt. But right now, I'm not counting on that. So let's try to rack up as many wins as we can this week. And I think we've got a shot to do that. So I know you look at the, the conference record and the start to conference play, and it's not ideal. But there's there's some context there, and I'm not giving up on this team. I think this is a team that has a chance to get into a regional. So we're not going to probably host a regional this year, but we can get into a regional and, and just you know see if we can win a couple games. It happens. But I, I don't think this team, as I said at the outset of, uh, of the season, I don't think this is a College World Series type team. I, I don't think it's a, probably a super regional team. It's not as good the teams we've had the past three years. But this is a team that's got a lot of guys that are young and going to grow and are going to be really really good for us as soon as next year. So, I mean they're they're really good for us right. Right now, but as soon as next year, this team will be right back in the fold as one of those teams continuing to host a regional and make a make a jump, maybe even try to get into the College World Series. I think we have a lot of young guys who are getting a lot of experience this year. 
And uh, that's going to be really valuable going into the 2022 season. And then finally, you guys know I can't let you get out of here without a little Georgia tennis talk. So on the tennis front, it was a bulldog sweep over the weekend. The updated rankings are out. They finally updated the singles and doubles rankings for the first time since, I believe, early January, if I remember correctly. It's been it's been months, literally. It's been months since we've had updated singles and doubles rankings. The women have um, been at number three for a while now. We're just sitting by North Carolina, who's undefeated. The only match that we've lost this year was to North Carolina at home when we weren't completely healthy. Morgan's also not playing. We lost that match 4-3. Uh, I don't know I've talked about this before, but if, if you didn't hear, we lost that match 4-3, and the deciding match came all the way down to a third set tiebreak. So we were right there with the number one team in the country who did win the national indoors this year, and then Texas is number two. We haven't had, they've just, basically, North Carolina and Texas have played a lot more matches than us. We've only played 12 matches, and North Carolina, I think, has played 19 because they got to play in the national indoors and the whole ITA regional, that whole nine yards. So that's why we're at number three. North Carolina should be number one. They've deserved that. But I think we're just as good, if not better, than Texas. But regardless, top three, who cares? We're right there. We're a team that's going to contend to, to win this whole thing this year. Uh, in singles, Katarina Jokic, who was number 16 because she didn't play a ton in the fall, she moved all the way up to number one, which I kind of suspect was going to be the case because she's just been rolling through people. I mean, she's beaten so many top players. She's beaten three players in the top 10, including uh, the, the second-ranked player who actually goes to Georgia Tech. She beat her in straight sets here in Athens back, I believe that was in January. So Katarina Jokic's back where she belongs, number one. She's I've said it many times. She's the best singles player in America. She's the best singles player, men or women, that I've seen play at Georgia. I, I was in college when John Isner was here in Athens, but I wasn't really into tennis at that time. So I didn't actually watch him play when he was here, which is crazy. I regret that tremendously. But she's the best I've seen. She's unbelievable. She's so, so, so incredibly good. Got a crazy backhand. She got every shot in the book. She moves so well. She's so fiercely competitive. Kat is – she's just awesome. She's the best in the country. And then – the biggest jump by far was Meg Kowalski. You guys know I've said on this show before, Meg Kowalski is my favorite current Georgia athlete of any sport. I love this girl. Watching her play is so much fun. She is certainly not the most talented player. I would say not the most physically gifted player. She's not Kat. Kat just has a ton of physical gifts. Meg doesn't necessarily have all this. She doesn't hit the ball as hard as Kat. She doesn't have a heavy ball like that. But Meg fights so hard, and Meg knows who she is. She knows what her game is, and she plays to her strengths. She's so much fun to watch, and she's so, so, so good, so strong. She's all the way up in court three, and she moved up from number 61 all the way to number 12. What a massive jump. But honestly, she deserves it. The girl simply does not lose. She's lost one match through almost three years now, right? So she's in the pretty much almost through the regular season of her third year here in Athens. She's lost one match her entire career to this point. And I'm probably jinxing her right now, so I'm knocking on wood as I say that. But she's just incredible. She's so solid, so consistent, fights so hard, has that competitive spirit just like Kat does. And she loves Georgia, man. She loves Georgia through and through. She's a cheerleader for her team. She's just so much fun. So really excited to see Meg be able to jump up like that. And Morgan Coppock on court four has really, really been playing well. She's she's one of those keys to the team. Like, we know Kat's really good. We know Meg's really good. I trust Marta and Elena down there on court five and six as fifth-year seniors. 
but Morgan Coppock, like that's the spot on number four. We need her to step up, and she's been so good lately. She's all the way up to number 61. Uh, our doubles pairings are really good. We're strong all the way across the board in doubles, but our number one doubles team, Katarina Jokic and Ariana Arsenault, our, our freshmen, are all the way up to number three. Ariana is going to be really, really good. She's tall, long. She hits a heavy ball, has maybe the best serve in the team right now. I mean, Kat's really good, too. It's hard to say it's not Kat, and, and so does Leah Ma. But Ariana is a really talented player, and she's going to be really good for a year to come here in Athens. So really excited to see them jump up in the rankings. The men are all the way up to number 11. Trent Bride coming at number 21 in the singles rankings, our top-ranked singles singles player on court one. Phil Henning on court three is all the way up to number 25. He's been playing really well, clinched for us a couple, weeks, a couple of times the past couple of weeks. He's playing really well right now. Um, our number one doubles teams all the way up to number six, Trent Bride and, and Tyler Zink have really grown into a formidable doubles duo right now. And really, we're strong across the board with our doubles teams. I think both the men and the women's. Uh, and the men, they were home this past weekend taking on a very good top 20 Kentucky team, like an unusually good Kentucky team. That's not usually a tennis powerhouse, but they've got two really strong singles players, and they absolutely pushed us Friday night. Came down to a third set in the decisive match on court five, and big-time Billy Rowe came through with a clutch third set victory on court five. Uh, it, it, there was there were some tense moments there. There's no doubt on court five there. The whole crowd moved down to the pit to watch. That was a lot of fun, and Billy came through through really big man uh, he's been an awesome pickup that's one of my, my big takeaways from this past weekend Billy Rose has been such a big pickup for this team now he hasn't won every single match but he fights in every single match and he gives us a chance on core five he's really kind of solidified the the bottom courts down there in the pit for us and when you get into a tough situation like that when it's down to core five it's the decisive match you want a, a grad transfer a fifth year guy like Billy Rowe who is down there with the experience he has and the composure he has you want him in that moment he's come through a couple times for so really, really big pickup for us. Been a strong player for us on court five most of this year. Um, again, I mentioned the doubles teams are playing really well, strong all three courts. That's a takeaway from the past couple of weeks. Blake Kreuter is back on track on court four, and that is huge for this team. I cannot overemphasize that because Blake was basically an automatic win last year. I think he had 18 sh straight matches that he had won um, before his back injury earlier this year, and that really set him back. And, you know, he, he, even when he came back, he clearly was not 100%. He couldn't put any juice on his serve. His forehand was lacking was lacking power, but he kept playing through because he knew his team needed him, and he lost a couple matches. And you could tell that took its toll on him. Like, you could just see his body language out there on the court, but he looks like he's if not 100%, he's back much closer to that than he was when he initially came back. He had two big wins over the weekends, which was really, really a good sign to see him get back on track because we need him. We really need him because he is, like, he has been a dominant court four player, and we need him to get back to that, and I think he's showing signs of, of getting back there. Um, on court one, Trent Bride is a really talented player, but he's struggling right now on court one. He also hurt his back, like, the, the next week after Blake hurt his back, and I, I when I'm watching Trent play, it looks like he's still feeling the after effects. He's back playing, like he's healthy enough to play and be cleared to play, but I don't think he's 100% because Trent, in my opinion, the best attribute he has is this guy just moves extraordinarily well. He plays really good defensive tennis. He can move all over the court, get to a lot of balls. And um, he's, I don't say struggling to do that. He's just not doing it as effectively as he has in the past. And I think he was a couple of weekends ago. I think he was actually sick. Maybe it was allergies or whatever. But he was it looked like he was sick out there in the court. It looked like he was physically sick. But he's lost a couple of matches in a row, and he's down to ten and twelve in the season. Now he's still ranked number twenty-one because the guys he's lost to are really, really good players. He's played a string of just really strong players. There's Gabriel DeCamps from UCF, who's number five. Henry Squire from 
uh, from Wake Forest, who's a, essentially a top 10 player. I mean, he's one of the best players I've seen this year, to be honest. So he's played some really good players, and he's been in a lot of these matches. He's just, you know, coming back from the back end, he just hasn't quite been able to finish it. And I'm starting to get concerned that he might start to lose confidence because that, that's something that can get into your head as a tennis player when it's such an individual sport like that. I hope that's not the case because Trent's a really good player. When he gets healthy, I, I have all the confidence in the world in him. He, he's been a really good player for us on court one. when We haven't had a really strong court one player in, in many years, really, to be honest. It's been a while. And Trent's kind of been that guy who solidified court one for us. So just hopefully he gets back on track, gets fully healthy, and gets that confidence back. Because when he's when he's rolling, he's a really, really good player. But all in all, I told you guys a few weeks ago to not give up on this team. Right now we're seeing 11-5 and overall, number 11 in the country. All five losses, though, are to top 14 teams. In fact, four of the five losses are to top 10 teams. Uh, and all five of those losses were when this team was not fully healthy. When we're healthy, which we're getting very close to that, I told you guys, watch out. I still feel good about this team. Maybe not, I don't know if it's a national title team. It's a team that can make a little bit of a run in the, in the NCAA tournament. There's no doubt about that. They get the right matchups, and we get healthy, and we get rolling, we get some confidence, get some momentum. This team can really play. We're strong in doubles. We're, we, were, we, didn't have, we still don't have a ton of depth. But last year, we really weren't as strong on courts five and six. Like, we were not, we just weren't. We were not strong on courts five and six. And that's why we went out and got a, go, a guy like Billy Rose, really solidified that for us there. And by the way, Eric Gravilius on court six has become a really good court six player for us as well. He's having to play up a couple courts last year. And that, he just wasn't ready for that as a true freshman. But he's really come on. He's he's fun to watch. He's got a lot of personality out there. Um, just He's kind of like the hype man for the team. And he does a great job on court six for us. So I think we, we've become much stronger there. And I like this team. And yeah, we've lost to some top 10 teams, but that's going to happen. Um, we've been competitive in some of those matches. Not not, not so much with Florida. Florida's number one right now. And, and that's when we were just completely devastated. We had nobody that was healthy in that match, and we just got murdered. But we've got wins over number 13, um, number 15, number 22, number 26, number 29. So we've beaten some good teams. We've been right there with some other teams, and we've got – Number right now, number four, Texas A&M coming in town, not this weekend, but next Friday, which is going to be a huge home match. So I encourage you guys to come check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. The weather should be nice. So come check that out in a couple of weeks. And then on the women's side, what, what can I even say about this team that I have not said before? They are, just to put it simply, they are so, so crazy good. I mean, there's literally not a weak point on the team. They are strong everywhere. I, I guess maybe you could say if you're, if you're trying to nitpick, maybe we need Leah Ma to become a little bit more consistent on court two to, to really truly win the national title. I mean, Leah is super talented, like an extraordinarily high ceiling. She's just up and down as a young player, as young players are apt to be. But uh, over the weekend, I mean, look, we've, we've ran through just about everybody this year. And over the weekend, we ran through Kentucky like we have just about everybody, at least recently, at least in conference play. I mean, for um, just for example, like the first seven conference matches, we've won by a combined score of 28 to 1. We've lost one point, one point through the first seven conference matches. That's crazy, guys. That's how good this team is. But number 16, Vanderbilt, they did push us on Sunday in Nashville. We actually lost the doubles point, which doesn't really ever happen for our women's team because we don't really lose any points. And then we got pushed in singles before Katarina Gilkic clinched on court one because, of course, she did. that's what Kat does. Uh, but I think that was a good thing. I would argue that's actually a good thing. Like you, Of course, you like to see our team just dominate like we do pretty much every single match. But in this case, it's not maybe the worst thing that could happen. 
happen because sometimes you do worry when you when your team just coasts through the regular season how will the team respond when you play better teams in the tournament because you're inevitably going to play better teams in the tournament and they're going to push you so how you don't want to be have the first time you're pushed be in the NCAA tournament or in the SEC tournament and have to dig deep so it's really good to see our girls respond like that get challenged and really respond the right way and they are back home for the remainder of the regular season. That was their final road trip of the regular season. So we've got uh, Missouri and Arkansas at home this weekend. Missouri on Friday at 3 o'clock, Arkansas at 1 o'clock on Sunday. And then next weekend, we've got Alabama and Auburn. It's a Thursday-Saturday matchup because the men are also home on Friday. Uh, and actually, Auburn should be a good match. They're, again, usually not that good, but they're actually second in the SEC right now, so that could be a, a huge matchup. So I definitely encourage you, as the weather's getting nice, I know there's a lot of pollen out there. It's crazy. But the weather's getting nicer. Um, this is tennis time, man. It's the time to go watch some tennis and have a good time cheering on some really, really, really good tennis teams that deserve our support. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I hope it wasn't too painful having to listen to me go solo today. I gave my best shot, but thanks for sticking with me, guys. I really do appreciate it. Again, we're going to try to get Charlie and or Curtis on the episode later this week. I can't promise that because, again, my hours are just kind of all over the place. I'm trying to work it out with them and move some things around. No promises, but we're going to try to make that work. But uh, one way or another, we'll have another episode for you guys later on this week, recapping week two of Georgia's football spring practice. So we'll be looking forward to that. But thanks for listening, guys. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>